0: Pastor Jason. It's a joy to be with you this morning as we continue in our series on going deeper in the faith. Today we're going to take a look at stage four, uh, it, which is the, the journey inward. But as as I, we've been on this journey, I just want to draw your attention to those things that we've been through. Stage number one that we talked about was recognition of God. That's a place in, in life that we all come to where we find God is present with us and we respond to God. We find God fresh and anew. Stage two is the is the time when you, you start walking with Jesus and you start learning about Jesus and learning who Jesus is and learning who you are and what you're made to, to be. Uh, stage three is about the productive life. It's where you take learning and you take action and you, you put those things together. And you hear Jesus saying, you know what, I've given you some gifts and abilities, some talents, and, and you start putting those things into play. Stage four is the next stage. Well, they're not really, they don't have to be as sequential in that order. But it's a stage we come to oftentimes after being very productive. And that's hearing an invitation to go into the inner life, the inward journey. And the inward journey isn't necessarily about becoming introspective into our own hearts, into our own minds. It's not, it's not just looking into the mirror. But the inward journey is about walking into the very heart of God. It's about going on a journey with Jesus to places that you maybe have never thought of or imagined that you could get there. I want to talk to you this morning about, uh, um, in, in that, to that end, I want to talk to you about a guy, a friend of mine, whose name is Ron. Now, there are probably some of you in this room that are named Ron, and the Ron that I'm going to talk about is nobody within this room, okay? But it might be somebody in this room. It may be you, in fact. You're, you may have a different name, but this may be you. When I met Ron, Ron was a believer in, in God. Ron was a, a follower of Christ. He had been born in the church, raised in a pastor's home, loved God. But the, the book that I came across that really summarized Ron's life at the time when I met him was So You Don't Want to Go to Church Anymore. Ron didn't want to go to church anymore, and he didn't. Um, he, had, he had come to a place in his life come to that moment because he had been a part of a lot of a lot of church life he'd, he'd done a lot of things within the within the Christian walk he had studied scripture he had been a part of a lot of things I think he'd been a part of a lot of committees too maybe that's why he got to the place where he didn't want to go to church anymore <laughs> committees are the um, tend to be the bane of, of, of lots of different people but he'd been on a lot of he'd been actively involved but as he was actively involved, he noticed that rising up within him, rising up deep in, a, in the inner places of his life, deep in his heart, was this question, is this what following Jesus is about? Living kind of a comfortable, genteel, good, nice kind of Christian life. Is that what following Christ is about? Is it going to church and doing my devotions and... And, and being a part of that team or that committee or, or serving in that way, is that, is that what the whole thing is about? So Ron started asking that question, and that question continued to rise up within him until he just came to the point where he's like, I can't do it anymore. I don't know if you've been there. There was a Thomas Merton who looked at that kind of life and he said, you know, oftentimes when we get to that point, it's when we've climbed the ladder of success only to find that when we get to the top, we've put it up against the wrong kind of wall. And we find ourselves looking into this superstructure, but there's nothing there. And you're like, I thought there was supposed to be something there. Ron got to that place. You may get to that place. Maybe you, you've been to that place. Maybe you've, you've moved beyond it. Or maybe it's down the road a little ways. But some of the time, we get to that place, you can kind of find yourself getting there when somebody comes along and, and they invite you to be a part of a Bible study. And the first thing that comes to your mind is a cuss word. And you're like, Oh no! But you've been a part of so many Bible studies, the only thing you can think about is to say, no, <laughs> you know? And you're like, wait a minute. What? What's going on there? Why, do I, why, do I, why does that rise up like that? Or maybe you get to that point because you, you've been doing all kinds of things right. You've been walking with Jesus in all kinds of ways. And then suddenly... Some sort of tragedy hits, and it seems like your house just kind of blows itself apart. And you're left standing, you feel like you're almost naked. And there are words that you've said to other people who've been in that kind of situation, and then people start to greet you with those same kind of words. And as you hear them, you're like, why did I ever say those things in the first place? They seem hollow to you in that moment. And then when somebody says, what do you believe? You wonder, I really don't know what I believe. If there's any place I would find myself, it's reading the Psalms or the book of Job. And I would simply ask a question sometimes, where, oh God, where are you? You See, when you're at that moment, you can do a couple things. You can look around and you can see are there places where I can really be honest and open about this point in my life? Or you could do like what Ron did in that moment, and he, he withdrew. There's another thing we can do. We can realize that when all of that stuff is kind of bubbling up in our hearts and you don't really know who you can say anything to or how to even describe it, If you listen closely, I'd like to suggest to you that you'll hear God himself speaking an invitation to you, an invitation to walk closer to Jesus than you ever have before, and to walk with Jesus to a place where you walk into the inner part of who God is, into the very heart of God. It's a walk that, it wasn't just Ron that had to take, but it's a walk that the disciples and that all kinds of people throughout those pages of scripture end up taking. It's a walk, in fact, that Jesus is happy to lead us on. If you've got your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 16. I'm going to read a text from there in just a moment. But before we read the text, you have to know something about the setting for this text, where it takes place. It takes place in this in the city of Caesarea Philippi. If you've ever been to Israel, you know that Caesarea Philippi is in the northern uh, part of, of Judea. It's way up on the northeast corner. And Caesarea Philippi, after King Herod passed away, the country was divided up into three um, kind of governorships or, and divided among his sons. And His son Philip built Caesarea Philippi in honor of, of Nero. <coughs> Pardon me. So he built this city, and the thing that he built there were temples. He built a temple to the Roman god Pan, and um, that's what it may have looked like at the time when Jesus and his disciples arrived. Today it looks like something else. It looks like this. And what it um, it's really unique to stand there, to, to be there, to, to see it, because it's kind of a a flat area where the, the village was or the city was. But then as you walk up to this place, that's, a, that's kind of an aerial shot. But there's this huge mountain that rises up. And there's that opening that you see there that's, that's present to you. Um, Pan, the Roman god Pan, was thought to be the god of desolate places. And Caesarea Philippi was indeed way out in a desolate place. It's, it's not necessarily easy to get to. And that opening that opening was thought to be the doorway to Hades, the gateway to Hades. So if you went to to Caesarea Philippi, you, you could then go down into the world of the underworld. You need to know that. Because Jesus takes his disciples to Caesarea Philippi. They go on a journey. And along the way on their journey, Jesus asks the disciples, who do people say that I am? And they come up with all kinds of answers. And then he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, well, you're the Christ. You're the, you're the son of the living God. And Jesus says, you're right, Peter. And on this rock, I'm going to build my church. And so Peter has this huge rock That it's not just in the back of his mind. He's looking at this huge rock. I'm going to build my church. And the gates of Hades, right there, will not overcome it. The gates of Hades will not overcome it. All those things are converging. And Peter is on cloud nine. He's like, I nailed the test. I got who Jesus was. And then Jesus says he's going to do something pretty significant with who I am. And, and we look at a... You want to put the other picture up there? We look at, at a place where there are these temples. And Peter just started to imagine what might be there. What might replace those buildings that were there in that instant. Peter's. I mean... he. All things are looking up. And then Jesus Jesus does something that's out of the ordinary. At least in Peter's mind. Jesus starts to say these words. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem. And that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders and leading priests and the teachers of the religious law. He would be killed on the third day. And he would be raised from the dead. But Peter took him aside, and he began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. Now think about the juxtaposition here. You've just been told that that you're the rock, and Jesus is going to build his church and build his kingdom on it. And then all of a sudden, Jesus says, and I'm going to Jerusalem, and I'm going to die there. Now... If you were having that conversation with Jesus, I think it might go something like this. Jesus, nobody ever built a kingdom by dying. I mean, literally. How do you build an enterprise? How do you build a kingdom? How do you replace those things by dying? It doesn't make one bit of sense. Peter is, well, maybe we're in Peter's shoes. Peter's in our shoes. And Jesus said to him, Peter, get away from me, Satan. You're a dangerous trap for me. You're seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any one of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. If you turn, or if you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit If you gain the whole world but lose your own soul. Is anything more or worth more than your soul? For the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. And I tell you the truth, some standing here right now will not die before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. When Jesus says to Peter, he says, get behind me, Satan. He's really not seeing Peter, this guy that on the one instant he saw as the rock that he could build his kingdom on, or saying the confession and then turning and seeing him as something totally different. No, but he's recognizing that Peter in that moment is giving voice to the native wisdom that we all have, to the natural wisdom, where we're after self-protection and self-preservation, where if we're really going to build something big or great we think that the way to do it is to become the king of the mountain. I think that's what Peter thought of when he saw that big old mountain up there. How's, how's the kingdom going to come into place? Where well, we're going to have to find some bulldozers and we're going to have to tear those other edifices down. We're going to have to do it with power, the way that it's always been done in the world. If you really want to build the kingdom, you've got to have power. It's even what they thought in Jerusalem. But Jesus said, Peter and the rest of the disciples The way of the heart of God is very different than the way of the kingdoms of this world. The way of the heart of God is is a part of long-suffering. The way of the heart of God is forgiveness. The way of the heart of God is, well, it's forgiving your enemies and loving them just like you love your neighbors. The way of the heart of God is a cross and not a sword. Jesus said, if you want to save your life, you'll have to lose it. Recently, I've been reading Sean Askinosie's book called Meaningful Work. I told somebody else today it also should be mandatory reading for everybody who ever wants to get married. And um, there's a lot of other things that this applies to. Um, I've tasted some of Sean's chocolate, you know, and, and it tastes, it's really good. But I really love what I see happening in this book and in this life that has lived among us. Because Sean Askinosie sort of tells his, he tells his life story, and he tells a story about how he was building his kingdom, building his name recognition and his brand. And yet deep within his own heart, deep within his own life, he had this gnawing sense of a deep sorrow. And he had the question, is what I'm building and what I'm putting together, am I going to end up getting to the top of the wall and looking over and there's nothing there? So we heard Jesus' call that if you, want to, if you want to keep your life, you're going to have to lose it. If you think you want to gain the world, you're going to have to give yourself to something that's like the cross. And so he begins to, to tell us that story. To live that out. And he begins to hear Jesus call him in to the inward life. To the inner path. How about you? Have you ever been in that place that Ron was at? That Peter's at? That Sean he went to? Have you ever been in that place where God just comes along and he lets your box and your understanding of him just kind of fall apart. Where you have to look at him. Where you have to hear him with new ears and look into his face with fresh eyes. It's a scary place. It's a place many of us get to. And it's a place where Jesus comes alongside of us and he invites us to walk with him. One of the beautiful things we have here at is we've got some we recognize that this is a place that many of us get to. And there are some things that we've put into place because we found them helpful along the way. On this graphic that you see that describes our, our discipleship plan, there's a couple things that are on the inner part of that circle. And some of you, you've heard about spiritual guides. That's a person who comes alongside of another person and they listen to the things that are bubbling up in their hearts. And they ask questions and they pray and they're just alongside of you. If, you, if you're at a place in your life where you're just struggling, you've been on the performance treadmill. You've done those things that people say, out, say to you to do. And you wonder what in the world is next. Let me encourage you that a spiritual guide is, is somebody that would be happy to sit with you. To pray with you. To listen to you. A spiritual guide is somebody that's been down that road before. And they know in that moment how to begin helping you listen to Jesus as he calls you into the interior life. The other thing that's up there is in, the, in the green circle is, is the, uh, the band circle. Now, a band is not, is not like getting three or four people together and you, you become the next rendition of the Beatles. Uh, a band is where you put three or four people together and you develop a lot of trust, you develop a lot of transparency and vulnerability, and you begin to ask questions, not questions of small talk, But you begin to ask questions of one another. And you begin to reply to these things. Like, what known sins have you committed since our last meeting? What temptations have you met with? How were you delivered? What have you thought, said, or done that you doubt whether it is sin or not? Have uh, have you nothing you desire to keep secret? Those questions begin to be questions that pierce to the heart of who you are. If you're interested in either one of those elements, a spiritual guide or a band, I'd encourage you to reach out to one of us pastors, to Pastor Jim, to myself, to Pastor Bob or Pastor Jake, or write a note if you've got one of those cards in your, in your, uh, from your bulletin. You can slip it in that black box but in, the, in the foyer. But if you're interested in either one of those things, reach out to us. Because those are significant places where you can bring your questions Not necessarily your answers, but your questions. You can bring this sense that, you know what, I want to follow Jesus, but I don't want to do it on a treadmill. And I think there's this deeper inner life he's calling me to. I want to be a part of it. Ron, the guy started to tell you about at the beginning. After a while of taking a break, he began to look around and he began to see other people who had the same questions he had, but they didn't choose the sideline. No, they chose to stay engaged with others. And they began to pray deep prayers, longing prayers. Ron found his way back into a community How about you, friends? Do you hear Jesus calling you because you're at a place where it's like, I'm looking for something and I don't know what? Well, Jesus calls us no matter where we're at. And he says, continue to follow me. Walk alongside of me. If you're at that place, I came across a prayer this week It's in a book by Richard Foster called Prayers from the Heart. That's the name of the book. And the prayer that he prays or he wrote is this, Be the gardener of my soul. I'm going to read this prayer, and I'd invite you, if you would so choose, to pray along with me. If you're at that place where you need God to do a deep work, and you don't know what it would look like, but you know that you'd like to walk deeply into the heart of God. Spirit of the living God, be the gardener of my soul. For so long I have been waiting, silent and still, experiencing a winter of the soul. But now, in the strong name of Jesus Christ, I dare to ask, Deadwood of the past, break up the hard clods of custom and routine. Stir in the rich compost of vision and challenge. Bury deep in my soul the implanted word. Cultivate and water and tend my heart until new life buds and opens and flowers. Amen.